Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go in-depth on all things Hawkeyes. This is Hawk Central on Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. Happy Wednesday, Hawkeye fans, and welcome in to tonight's Hawk Central Radio Show here on 106.3 KXNO. I'm your regular host, Chad Leistico, a sports columnist for the Des Moines Register, and I will be leading our Iowa Hawkeyes conversation tonight from 6 to 7 p.m. as always. The Iowa baseball season marches on after a solid showing at the Big Ten Tournament. My trusty colleague, Dargan Southerd will join me around 6.40 tonight to preview the Hawkeyes' first NCAA regional appearance since 2017. It'll be Iowa versus North Carolina at 6 p.m. Central Friday on the ACC Network. But there was even bigger news than Iowa baseball this past week, and that story continues into this week. Athletics Director Gary Barta retiring from Iowa as of August 1st, which incidentally will mark Kirk Ferentz's 68th birthday. To dig into that topic and more, I'm super grateful to welcome my good friend on the Hawkeye Beat and one of the best in the business, Scott Docterman of The Athletic. Scott, thank you so much for giving us some time tonight. Yeah, Chad, thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure. Appreciate it. Uh, you know, we <laughs> uh, Friday became kind of busy, I would say, for both of us. Uh, but uh, as you kind of look at the the Gary Barta uh, kind of bombshell on Friday, uh, why why do you think it happens now? Uh, and uh, you know, he he talked about going out on his own terms a little bit. Um, how do you gauge all that? I think he, I think he did, but I think he was nudged in that direction too. I mean, you look at the separation agreement; there were some conversations and and that had been had multiple weeks i think he had 21 days where he had to really revisit this decision and look through this decision and then he signed it um i think it was on the 20th of may and then it became official on the 27th and he just had to you know wait another week or so i think that there probably what happened was that everything with the trial and all the political pressure from Republican and Democratic lawmakers and state officials uh, and and the regents, you know, became so clear that they were pushing Gary in that direction that he thought it probably made the most sense just to step away at this point. Uh, you know, because I, you know, I thought the most interesting factor in his separation agreement was that Iowa will continue to pay for his health insurance until he's 65, and and then he uh, unless he gets another job, so. I think, you know, overall that, that to me was the most fascinating, but I, I think this is probably the perfect time mm-hmm. for him um, because of all those, all the baggage is, is just gotten so heavy. And I think this also is the perfect time for Iowa where uh, they can kind of start to move forward before the, the start of another big sports season. 
Exactly. And uh, Scott and I will get into kind of the the future of the Iowa AD position as we go. But obviously this news still pretty fresh and kind of wanted to, to look back on it from, uh, you know, both of us that have been uh, surrounded by the Iowa program for so long <laughs> in our lives. And frankly, didn't you start the Gazette right around uh, the beginning of the BARDA era? Same exact day. Oh, August my gosh. 1st, I didn't even know that in the show prep. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so Gary started, that was his first day at, at Iowa. That was my first day with the Gazette on a Tuesday. And and so, yeah, it was kind of interesting that uh, it coincided together. And, uh, you know, and, and I've had a, you know, I would say a very good working relationship with Gary Barta over the years. I covered, you know, the PCA for most of that time mm-hmm. and, and a lot of a lot of athletic department comings and goings and before I even became a beat writer. So, uh, you know, he he's always been fair and helpful, I think, to media. I think he's one of the better ones um, that you'll see uh, when it comes to communication with media. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, he did have his flaws and that's ultimately the reason why he's you know, probably, you know, decided to hang it up earlier than, sure. than maybe expected. Yeah. I mean, he's, uh, he, he's done a lot in 17 years and, and no question it's been marked with good stuff and bad stuff. Uh, Dargan Southern and I, uh, did a, did a YouTube pod last week, last Friday, um, kind of highlighting some of the good, but I wanted to kind of pick your brain, um, on, on that Scott, uh, as we play a little bit of a little four question game here. Um, and we're going to start with number one. What is the best thing uh, that Barta accomplished in his 17 years at the helm of the Iowa program? You know, Chad, I've given a lot of thought to this in the last few days. And, and to me, I think it's the stability among the head coaches. Uh, when you look at uh, some people have criticized him as not being part of, uh, well, you know, who did he hire? Well, I think in 17 years, the fact that he's kept three out of his four major coaches and his four, three of his four major sports without any changes, I think really says a lot about him. I mean, that he was able to to continue with Kirk Ferentz and Lisa Bluter and Tom Brands without any changes. And he was able to, to really um, keep them, you know, well-paid and happy. And I mean, you look at the, the benefits in recent years. I mean, Iowa football the last five years has the third most wins in the Big Ten. Uh, the women's basketball team finished second in the country, and and the wrestling team did as well. So uh, the stability mm-hmm. among the core sports to me is is essential. Now we all uh, there have been all kinds of different uh, you know panning or whatever of the contracts of Kirk Ferentz over the years, the ten years, and and what have you. But when you look at the results, and that's what we need to look at big picture are the results. Um, they were it was a really smart move. It made sure that you kept a, one of the most successful coaches in Big Ten history under your watch. And I think for Kirk, it was a smart matter because it, it allowed him to go through some rough times, which are expected at a school like Iowa. And yet they were still, other than one year, they were still able to, to be bowl eligible um, and didn't hit the, the you know, a three or four year dip. They don't way even like Michigan State and some other schools have. So I think the stability was probably the most important thing. I'm, I'm interested in hearing what you think, though. Yeah, no, I, I think I probably would have gone there, but I've got a lot of things kind of on my list. Uh, you know, one of them, of course, being uh, just the financial. Uh, boom that he kind of uh experienced now could another ad have have collected those millions in tv rights money sure but he was an unbelievable 
fundraiser and everybody who you'll talk to um, will tell you that uh, he was really good at raising money I mean the north end zone at Kinnick you know know, doesn't happen without him Uh, you know the football facility all these things that have kind of kept Iowa football modern and at the front of the uh, you know front of the Big Ten really in terms of facilities uh, you know that arm race, I think, is, has really been good. And I feel like the Kinnick experience has actually improved over the years. I mean, uh, you know, you look at even the water tower, um, you know, <laughs> little things like that. Beer and Kinnick. Uh, there's there's certain things that uh, he did, that I think, that, are, that have made football kind of the, the premier program in the athletics department as it as it probably should be. So I guess I'll give him uh, top credit for that since, since you kind of went the stability route. And then uh, I would, you know... I would also just say that the baseball and track hires uh, have been tremendous. Uh, maybe no-brainers in some way, but obviously we're seeing the Iowa baseball program, um, you know, continue to be a, I guess, I guess an uplifting force, uh, a new kind of, you know, a new piece to the Iowa athletics puzzle, so to speak, Scott. Like with the people look forward to Hellerball every May and every, uh, you know, this time of year, it really kind of galvanizes a fan base and almost in a way kind of finishes. Finish the year strong in a way, you know what I mean? Like with a collective feel for unity in terms of, of being a Hawkeye fan. Oh, I agree. I mean, I think the Rick Heller hire may have been his best hire um, as a, as a coach. And that's no disrespect to Fran McCaffrey, who's had a really good uh, run here. But I think Rick has certainly elevated that program that was really languishing among the worst in the Big Ten, to now being one of the best. And I think this year may be its best opportunity to advance into the, in fact, our, uh, at the athletic, Mitch Light, uh, you know, kind of our college baseball expert, as yeah. well as the college football editor, he picked Iowa to go to the College World Series. Oh, my goodness. He, he had him winning this regional and then beating Arkansas in a super regional. So, um, and I trust his opinion more than my own on that. So, <laughs> I, I mean, uh, you know, to, to do what Rick has done has, has been tremendous. And I know there were a lot of issues around that hire. It took a long time. There were other coaches who were involved. and and uh, But ultimately, this is the hire that they made, and that's the, really the best one they could do. And, and Rick has, has galvanized this program. And, and as you mentioned, Joey Woody with the women's and men's track programs. I mean, to be able to be this successful yeah, um, pretty impressive. Two out of last four <laughs> out, outdoor beats, just it's just tremendous. And 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 then finally, uh, you know, the maybe was uh, segues nicely into another subject. But I think um, Lisa Salucci with the field hockey program mm-hmm. um, has done a, a really outstanding job, <laughs> considering what happened there. And and she was the assistant, and her best friend uh, was let go. So. That was, uh, to me, you know, another great hire because they've been ranked number one. I mean, when you think about it, Chad, and the Iowa's upper four sports uh, in the last three years, all four of them have been ranked in the top three nationally at one point. That's yeah. pretty impressive. That's 1980s territory. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great point, Scott. Uh, all right, let's transition. Complete 180 here. What is kind of the worst thing uh, that Gary Barta did as, as athletic director in 17 years? Long list here. Oh, my here. gosh. <laughs> yeah, there is a long list. And, I don't know where to start, you, so that's why I'm throwing it to you first. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I'm going to pick off all these topics, and I'm going to kind of combine it into one. And in some ways, it's um, lack of details along with uh, ready, shoot, aim, or shoot, ready, aim, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of why I think that, um, you know, when I look at Tracy Griesbaum's situation, um, you know, he was pretty much on orders to, to let her go um, from Sally Mason and, and he did, but 
uh, you know, the follow-up and, and how that could have been resolved a little bit differently was, was on him, was on the attorney general's office, was on the university's watch, but it was collectively, you know, pushed onto him and then he ended up paying for it. And then likewise with Jane Meyer, that's kind of a hand in hand, obviously, because, you know, she was um, transferred out of the department and then her position was, was eliminated and it, it reeked of retaliation and whether or not yeah. the, the state attorney general's office decided to, to, to push that, it doesn't matter. It was on his watch. And then, but, you know, Rabdo, uh, the racial bias, I, I don't, you know, I, I think not so much the trial part of it or the settlement. I don't think that's as much on him, but I do think that, it, you know, either ignoring or not doing enough of the warning signs was on him. And then finally, um, the, the cutting of the four sports, I think that one is probably the worst one for him on what he did personally, because he did it within 10 days of the Big Ten announcing it wasn't going to have football. And to, to do it, and that was totally shoot-ready aim, because, you know, why why make that kind of a rash decision on legacy sports, and especially the women's sport, which ended up not only losing in court, you know, and they had to add another sport along with that one, bringing it back. So I think his personal worst decision had to have been the, the cutting of the sports with uh, they'd do it so quickly that there was really no chance a for fundraising for it b just right. to, to to get forced to basically bring back one and then add another on top of it well yeah and then uh, just kind of like the two-minute meeting or, or announcement with all the teams gathering them at whatever seven in the morning just not as not his not his best moment probably as, as ad yeah um, yeah, I'm going to go with, uh, and I wrote about this last week, I feel like the 2018 diversity report that was kind of swept under the rug and, and really didn't take a firm um, stance on it with football. I mean, you know, yeah, hoodies and earrings got, got brought into the facility or allowed in the facility or whatever, but um, that just, uh, you know, with the James Daniels meeting, all that, I feel like that kind of led to the 2020 summer storm that didn't need to happen necessarily within Iowa football um, if if Barta had kind of taken those things a little bit more seriously. And obviously that leads to the, uh, you know, the lawsuit, the $4.2 million settlement, the, the legislator stuff we're all talking about, you know, the four lawsuits totaling uh, $11.2 million. Uh, I felt like that that was probably kind of just a little bit more of a, a lack of action there and just kind of wanting it to go away type of thing. Um, that's that's not really the mark of a good leader. So I, that's where I and that ultimately led to what you talked about at the very beginning here, Scott. Him kind of getting, um, you know, a little bit nudged, perhaps, out the door. Um, we're going a little long here, but let's just keep going. What's the smartest thing that he did uh, as athletic director? Yeah, other than the stability, which I think is easy to say, but I mean, you know, I, I think it, people, you know, constantly kind of give him a hard time, but. Uh, about some of the little trinkets, I guess, you know, adding, you know, putting a Tiger Hawk on the water tower or at the 50 yard line at Kinnick. But I, I think, you know, I, I think the basketball facility um, being built was probably the best. That was the most needed at that mm-hmm. time. I remember, um, you know, I mean, you're talking about a, an arena that's sharing men's, women's basketball, women's volleyball, wrestling competitions, uh, gymnastics at times. They, they were mostly in the field house, but still had that there. And other events that, and, and when you got opponents coming in for shoot-arounds, um, you know, and what have you, I mean, it was just a nightmare scheduling-wise, and it really made Iowa look like basketball didn't matter. 
And I think being able to push for that, and, and ironically, or oddly, I should say, he got the uh, okay from the Board of Regents the day of the epic surge floods in, in eastern Iowa in 2008. Oh yeah. uh, it was, uh, it, you know, and he had to really fight for that. And I think that was by far his best move facility-wise. But, you know, there were a lot of other fun ones. And, of course, people can enjoy a cold beer at Kinnick or Carver now because Barta was, uh, allowed it to happen. That's right. Uh, uh, I'll just move on quickly to the our topic of what's the silliest thing he did. And it just gives us an opportunity to bring up uh, the awkward Fran slash Dolph ongoing tensions. That was on <laughs> among the odd things uh, for me. And then, of course, Let's just get it, you know, let's just at least touch on the uh, the Brian Ferentz contract, which will be the gift that keeps on giving uh, after after Barta is gone. I think sometimes the way that they handle things public relations wise just makes you pull your hair out. And I, I think the Brian Ferentz thing is kind of came to a head, which is uh, there's a press conference uh, for signing day. Kirk says everybody's going to return. And then after that, um, you know, a week later is when the the con uh, the the contract was re- you know announced and uh, right. redone. It's like just get it all out at the same time and then move on. But instead, that was one. Uh, but you know that I, I, uh, the red, white, and blue pom poms, which really oh, how could I not? I mean, it was, yeah, wow. It was a bl- it was a blackout that day, and <laughs> you had Wisconsin there. So the blue washed out with the black because it was in like a black section where everybody's wearing black, and then you had only red and white palms with Wisconsin, and they missed Wisconsin the two previous years, so it looked like it was a pro Wisconsin uh, um, crowd. So I'd probably go with that for silliness. <laughs> that was the 2013 game, is that right? Yeah, 2013. Yeah, okay. yeah 28-9 Wisconsin, yeah. C.J. Beathard like, was like 4 for 17 or something on that one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, you're listening to Hawk Central from the Des Moines Register and Kicks. And, oh, this is Chad Leistico talking Hawkeye sports with the Athletics. Scott Dockerman. All right, uh, Scott, let's move on uh, to the next athletic director. I think we both uh, believe Beth Getz will be named interim AD this week. How strong of a candidate do you believe she will be to take the permanent job? I think she has the best resume of any athletic director since Bump Elliott. And uh, because when you look at Gary, he was the uh, AD for just a couple of years at, at Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Look at Bob Bowlesby. He was AD at, at Northern Iowa before they both came in. And even Christine Grant going way back, uh, you know, was, you know, there wasn't any such thing as a women's athletic director at that point. But, right. but I think with, when you look at Beth Getz and all that she's accomplished, where she has a, a had those accomplishments. I mean, interim AD had a very difficult situation in Minnesota. She was a senior women's administrator and had a, at, at UConn. She was the athletic director for four to five years at, at Ball State, did an outstanding job there. Uh, you know, she was a student athlete playing soccer at Clemson. She was a former coach. I think she's got just a, a really incredible background, and she does a really good job of dealing with people. I mean, most people that deal with her uh, really respect her, and, and she's not afraid to ask for advice, but also uh, she makes strong decisions. So I think she is, um, to me, the favorite. And unless there's somebody out there that we're not aware of that really has interest that's um, in a different category, I just, I think it's, I won't say it's a done deal, but I think she's uh, easily the front runner here. Given what you just talked about, Scott, um, with Beth and and uh, the acclaim that she comes with, the respect. I mean, obviously, she came here, you know, probably with designs on becoming Iowa's athletic director. You would have to think uh, taking a 
you know, taking a deputy job from from an AD job. Um, how long will Iowa give kind of this uh, interim tag to her? I mean, will they kind of let it play out a while before, uh, you know, doing a hardcore search? Or will they just kind of um, – would that be the smart way to go or just do the search now and then, you know, you know, six weeks from now name her the permanent AD if she wins the job? Yeah, that's a good question because we really don't know Barbara Wilson that well. No, yeah. She's- She's as secluded as uh, Bruce Harold is at, at Iowa and doesn't really talk much. But, but I think that, uh, you know, to me, I think the right path is go ahead and advertise for it, give her the interim tag, and then, uh, you know, then start making interviews and see what happens from there. And, uh, you know, and she may just be so head and shoulders that it, it, uh, it might happen. But I think it, it also, it, it's, you bring up a good point that maybe it's worth hey, we're just going to keep this interim tag on her for a year. <laughs> and yeah, then that's what at I'm the saying. end of a year, you know, you maybe just uh, hire her that way. And then you might save yourself a, a costly search and, and, uh, and, and do it that way. But, you know, whoever it is is going to have some major, uh, major decisions on their plate um, come in the future. No question. <laughs> sure. Um, let's say it is, um, you know, she, she's interim AD for the next year or whatever. Um, she's in charge for the next year. What, what in your mind is the most important thing on her immediate docket? Wow. Um, immediate, like for the next year? That's a good question. Cause I just, setting the groundwork potentially for something in the future could be that too. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would really say that, you know, succession planning and, and, football or at least having an idea of who may replace Kirk Ferentz is number one on the list for me because mm-hmm. that's the most important sport. It's the one that makes the most money. And, and I think, uh, you know, you've got to make sure you have somebody, at least somebody, in, you know, in that front drawer that you talk, everybody always talks about, you know, to call in case something happens. But, but largely, um, you know, big picture, I, I think really working with the NIL, is yeah. to me what what they what somebody needs to do out of that chair because we know Gary Barta hasn't had any conversations at all, um, you know, with with NIL and and I think that's been wrong. It's been a bad um, setup right now, and that needs to change immediately uh, because they are partners. I mean, what goes on on the field helps what goes on in in the department coffers. So I would hope that that becomes a, a reality very quickly. Yeah, that is absolutely one thing that, that she could shift, um, you know, immediately if she, if she wants to. So uh, that's a really good point there. Obviously, the wrestling facility ongoing, you know, things like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, football coach uh, will be an interesting topic. And we will hit that next, Scott, after the break. Fortunately uh, for us, Hawk Central listeners, Scott will stick around for one more segment as we look at the potential uh, time frame for the new AD to hire a head football coach at the University of Iowa and maybe we'll get into Fran and Bluter too. Those topic next on Hawk Central, 106.3 KXNO. This is Hawk Central on Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 106.3 KXNO. I'm your host, Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register. We are still in the process of replacing Kennington Smith, my departed Hawkeyes beat colleague. In the meantime, grateful to have uh, uh, rotating guests on the show. And this week I have a great friend and, and also competitor, but a great friend, Scott Docterman of The Athletic, joining me for, for now a second segment. And Scott, uh, before we get into our planned conversation about Iowa's new AD and future new football coach, potentially, what uh, what are your general thoughts about the 2023 Hawkeye football team? 
I'm bullish on this team, Chad. And the reason why is I think they bring back the guts of a really good defense in the critical areas up front and in the backs, uh, the secondary. And I think there's just enough in the linebacker. Now I'm worried about depth there, but I think overall that defense has the potential to be close to as good as last year's. And then you flip it over to the other side of the ball. I mean, um, this is where, you know, the, they did a really nice job in the portal, not only getting a quarterback and an NFL caliber tight end, but a couple of receivers, a couple of offensive linemen, um, you know, a, a fullback now, you know, yeah. and, all, and there's what, you know, and a backup quarterback. I mean, there's six, seven, eight guys who have the potential not only to be in the two deep, but, you know, six or so who have a chance to start or play a lot. And I think that's for an offense as poor as Iowa's was last year. That's going to be a really big lift. So I, I like the direction that they're in right now. I think they've got a chance to, to to win the West, and if they can really take that step forward and become, you know, a, a decent offense, that you know they have a puncher's chance. They're not going to surrender in Indianapolis. So uh, you know, but if, if they if they're just kind of getting by offensively like they did maybe two years ago, then it might not end up being a very competitive game there. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I, I came out of spring really bullish on um, Kate McNamara and just kind of the influence mm-hmm. he's had uh, with the program. Obviously, he needs to stay healthy in my mind. Um, has to you know mm-hmm. has to stay upright. But I think the offensive line will give him a better chance. Uh, you know than it did with uh, poor Petrus uh, for the last couple of years of just uh, battering ram back there with. You know, no mobility. So there should be a little bit of a change in the pocket. All right, Scott, one thing uh, Gary Barta never had to do was hire a new football coach. The next AD almost certainly will. Uh, Kirk Ferentz signed through the 2029 season at $7 million a year. Uh, but uh, before we get to that, I mean, what did you make of kind of Ferentz's kind of real brief statement uh, on Gary Barta? It was very different than Fran McCaffrey's uh, glowing statement about Gary Barta's accomplishments. Uh, Kirk basically, in a nutshell, said, I was surprised and we wish him well. Yeah. I think that it showed that how much of a fractured relationship they've had over the last several months. I mean, things have been moving in in that direction probably since 2020 uh, with everything regarding the the football program, the separation with Chris Doyle, the, the the and but I think part you know mostly was the pressure that Gary Barta was putting on Kirk Ferentz about making a change at offensive coordinator and and then the contract revisions that. Uh, you know, again, it sounds like some of the people at our place want to have a graphic like the drive for 325 with like a horse and buggy at start and then maybe a Ferrari at the end if they reach it or something. But <laughs> but I, I, I do think that there's some, um, you know, that they had reached a situation where they were just not in lockstep. And um, that led to the brief statement. I don't think there's going to be they're not sorry to see him go. And um, so that, that's maybe unfortunate because they were the longest serving tandem of athletic director and football coach in the country. And Barta had had his back so many times in the past and probably enabled some of those issues that we saw, you know, certainly with the racial bias investigation. But I, I think, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's probably just as well that there was a separation now. So what, uh, you know, the Ferences kind of, to me, seem to be setting the stage for kind of one of those us against the world type of years. Um, you know, Brian was very, very surfacey and, and kind of brief for him um, in, in his press conference in the spring. Um, you know, uh, you know, I, I reached out to him about doing a podcast this summer. He declined. It's just kind of a, uh, 
uh, kind of you know one of those one of those years. I mean, we, we've seen those here and there. Uh, I just uh, you know I think they're probably not happy about his contract situation. Like you said, I guess. Does this all set the stage for for Kirk and maybe even Brian to walk away soon, or what? what when when does the day come in your mind uh, where KF walks away? That is a great question. That's a question that I know me and my former colleague Mark Morehouse started revisiting like I don't know 2010 probably. But <laughs> yeah. You know, so we've discussed it. Then a ten years thing. Okay, this is a lifetime contract, and then. And there was another lifetime contract, and then there's a third lifetime contract. So mm-hmm. I, I think in some ways that, um, you know, I, I can understand it, though. I mean, from Brian Ferentz's perspective, there's nothing to gain at all in public right now at all. Yeah. I mean, nobody, you know, fans, the critical mass of fans are against him. Um, whatever he says is going to be turned around on him. Uh, so I can see that us against the world. And of course, uh, you know, his father feels some of the same way. And and, you know, if you're Kirk, you kind of feel like, uh, you know, disrespected a little bit by, you know, your, even your fans. Just, you know, the, the, again, the last five years, they've had some pretty good seasons at a five. Uh, you know, they're, I think, in the top ten among Power Five programs and in, in victories over that stretch. And yet um, last year, you know, the, the calls to fire him in an eight-win season are pretty strong. So, yeah, I think they've got their backs against the wall, but I also don't think that going to a bunker mentality would serve them well because then then it allows you know other things to fester. So I think it'll be kind of this head, you know the the assistants may and Brian may be more on the line of I'm not talking, I'm just not going to say anything, I'm going to let our action speak. Yeah. Versus uh, Kirk will have to be the the diplomatic one, which is a role that he's served now for going into year 25 yeah i mean just my sense is he's he still has uh the energy for the job i think he's i think with the lawsuit now in the back burner or back seat i should say uh you know you know done with um i don't know in their mind maybe hey we can get back to football now um every you know focus on football so i don't know i i, I feel like i'm gonna say maybe three more years something like that but i could see I, I could see a scenario, Scott, where, I mean, Kirk is 68 this year. I could see a scenario where they have a good year and, and maybe he does, maybe he does walk away. And maybe at the same time as Brian, like, you know, we're going to walk out with a, a West title and, and a good performance in Indy and, and, uh, you know, time to move on. I don't know. I, I could see that happening. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, I mean, I was told by so many people um, at, and during the 2021 year that, Kirk was hanging it up after that year. And, you know, if you could remember our friend uh, Andy Garman, who, uh, you know, works with the Wicksteads and, yep. and, and runs kind of the, some of the PR for Kirk, you know, had like a uh, press conference scheduled at, uh, in Indianapolis and the day before the game, you know, just to, Hey, you want to just chat with him? And I'm, I'm like petrified. Okay. He's going to call his, uh, <laughs> retirement. I'm not going to get there in time. And of course he didn't. And, and so I, but you know, he does enjoy football. And I think if, it sounds yeah. like that during COVID and he was out having a garden in the spring, he hated it. And <laughs> so now right. he just wants to make sure to, to just coach football. So, you know, I, I also could see him, you know, maybe, taking a step back and then becoming a consultant, maybe just go to camps, go to, uh, you know, and doing different things, football related. So um, I don't think you'll ever not be around the game, but it wouldn't surprise me if it's this year and it wouldn't surprise me if it's 2028. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you there. Uh, Just don't know. Don't know at this point. I guess we'll we'll see how this season plays out. Um, 
What do you make of uh, kind of the the time frames on you know when this new AD is going to hire a football coach? I mean, what kind of what do you have to do to kind of be prepared to to be able to do that? Because again, unless Kirk's going to tell you, "Hey, I'm out after this year" or whatever, you got to be ready, right? Oh yeah, I mean, you, you cannot fall behind on this, and we saw it with the search when when Kirk was hired, and you know how it was uh, at times almost botched. It ended up in a great direction. He kind of saved the day, but uh, you know Bob Stoops was everybody's choice, and then um, that it kind of became well, Bob's at the at or near the top of the list, and Bob thought it was just going to be a formality, and he ends up taking the Oklahoma job, and they if Kirk wasn't such a good candidate, they would have really been in trouble. So I, I do think that whether it's having conversations with agents, um, putting feelers out there kind of publicly, like, hey, if, if Kirk does hang it up, what what's your interest to uh, Mark Stoops or somebody mm-hmm. like that, maybe the agent, and just to feel them out, Chris Kleiman, Lance Leopold, anybody that you feel like might be a decent candidate, just to get that kind of feedback so when the day happens, you could hit the ground running. And, and Iowa's kind of a committee university. Everything's got to be com- by committee. But you got to expedite this one. You can't fall behind because if you fall behind in football, it'll kill you. We saw that, you know, well, we didn't personally, but 60s and 70s was really a difficult era for Iowa football that they're still, you know, that they've successfully recovered from. Yeah. But it does kind of haunt their history a little bit. Wanted to ask you, uh, you're Mr. TV, Mr. Schedules. I love uh, reading your stuff in The Athletic on those topics, uh, mainly because uh, it's not my necessarily my wheelhouse. But uh, uh, wanted to ask you about the 2024-25 football schedules. I, I've heard that they're going to be released pretty soon. What do you, what do you know about uh, what the, the time frame is on those? Um, you know, UCLA and USC coming into the fold. And uh, will Iowa have two or three protected rivals? Yeah, it's it's been a real interesting swirl of of, of uh, scheduling discussions, and right now it looks like the flex option is the one that people have kind of liked, but they haven't finalized it yet. And that is that each school will have a different level of protected rivalry. So USC and UCLA will have one another, and some schools will just have one, but then Iowa could have up to three, you know, which is exactly what they wanted, you know, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and and Nebraska. So if that's the case that it, then I think that's the perfect scenario for the Big Ten and for Iowa. It would make make for some awkward scheduling um, because you know you're you won't cycle up with as many uh, other foes as often as some of the other teams will. But I think it really matches those key rivalries, and still you're able to play everybody else at least twice over a four year period. So that would be my guess as of today. But with this topic, things have changed so many times. I would hate to be pinned down and say, yes, this is absolutely what's going to happen because, hey, Iowa will have a new AD and maybe uh, if they don't want to have, maybe Gary was Gary was a pretty good voice for the flex option. So okay. we'll see what happens in the future. How soon do you think it comes out? I hope in the next couple of weeks. I yeah. mean, I, I thought it was going to be a couple of weeks ago. So, but then, uh, but then Tony Petiti has had to clean up quite a mess. Left yeah, over by the that's another story. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, never a dull moment, Scott. Uh, let's get to football soon. But appreciate your conversation, and uh, thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chad. I appreciate it. You bet. Uh, coming up next, it is still Hawkeye baseball season. We will preview Iowa's NCAA regional draw in Terre Haute with Dargan Southern. Coming up next on Hawk Central 106.3 KXNO. 
This is Hawk Central on Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 106.3 KXNO. I am your host, Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register. Thank you again to Scott Docterman of The Athletic for joining us today on Gary Barta, Hawkeye Football, Kirk Ferentz, and a little bit more. Now it's time for some Hellerball conversation. Hawkeyes. Baseball team face UNC, North Carolina, on Friday night at 6 p.m. Again, ACC Network in the first game uh, for Iowa of the Terre Haute Regional. Uh, Dargan Southard uh, will join me right now. Uh, At first blush, Dargan, uh, you were in Omaha uh, covering Iowa's runner-up finish of the Big Ten Tournament. A day later, they they draw a number two seed, a very solid two seed. Uh, I like this draw, man. Uh, Indiana State, the 14th overall seed. It's not like they're playing uh, a complete juggernaut uh, in the region. And North Carolina finished 14 and 14 and fourth in the ACC Coastal Division. Obviously, Wright State uh, is the fourth seed in this region. What do you make of the draw? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, the, the selection committee for the tournament, um, they like to say all these reasons why they see teams where they do. And then you look at the bracket, and it's like 95% geographical. So um, I kind of figured that this is that Iowa had a good chance to land here just because there's so infrequently an actual Midwest regional host. So right. it makes sense to see, you know, even though Carolina's a little bit further away, it makes sense that Iowa, you know, landed here. And, you know, I know there was some hope that, Maybe a, a better, uh, more raucous environment might have been where Iowa ended up. Um, but to be honest, this is probably the best situation Iowa could have landed in as far as winnability in a regional because, um, yes, you know, Bob Warren Field only holds about 2,000 people, and uh, it sounds like a lot of those seats are brought in. Uh, so, you know, it's it's probably going to feel more like, you know, a Dwayne Banks field game, which, you know, might – be in favor of Iowa because, you know, they, they, that's what they play in pretty much the whole season. So kind of a, a reverse, uh, you know, situation there where, you know, they, they end up in the smaller uh, field, but it actually probably benefits them, I think. And you're right, you know, Carolina's pretty much your vintage, uh, you know, school that, that kind of gets beat up a little bit in the ACC. You know, they played, uh, you know, just about every team at the top in the conference except for Wake Forest. So uh, definitely a team that's, you know, has a lot of experience with this stage, whereas, you know, in Iowa's case, everybody on the roster is playing in a regional for the first time. So definitely a lot of interesting uh, matchups and storylines to watch as uh, we wait for Friday to get here. Yeah, it's a double elimination, obviously. So uh, if Iowa loses that opener, they still got a chance to fight their way back. But obviously the cleanest way to advance to Super Regional is to win that first game, uh, which they did do in 2015. And then they won another game against Oregon before falling to Missouri State. But this year, you know, it's going to probably take getting past uh, Indiana State at some point. Uh, what do you like about – let's start with the UNC matchup, Dargan. Uh, anything to like about Iowa's chances against North Carolina on Friday? Yeah, and to add to that, you know, Iowa won its first game in the Houston Regional as well. So Iowa's actually won – its last two oh, uh, yeah, right. in regional openers. So um, so some interesting nuggets there. I, I think the biggest thing when you look at this matchup is, um, you know, the way the uh, Sunday aside, the way the Iowa offense has been rolling um, should look at, at Friday's starter, Jake Knapp, um, as a pretty 
you know, a matchup that, that they feel like they can take advantage of. You know, seven of his last nine starts didn't last past the fifth inning. Um, now his one of those two that did was his most recent start in the ACC tournament when they beat uh, National Seed Virginia, which is actually one of their more impressive wins of the year. But, um, you know, Iowa faced good pitching down in Omaha. You know, they faced the Big Ten Pitcher of the Year to start. They faced Luke Sennard from Indiana in the second game, who Rick Keller uh, had a lot of great things to say. So given given the success that Iowa's shown, um, you know, really turning it on the last month offensively, I, I think they should feel pretty good going into this matchup. Yeah, Marcus Morgan uh, getting the start for Iowa. Um, no surprise there. And then, of course, Brody Brecht, I would guess, would be the number two starter, but I don't know. I guess, uh, has, has Heller said, if, if Brecht will be the, his second guy, or is that well, to be determined? Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, I, I learned after the fact that in the Big Ten tournament, if Iowa had lost that first game to Michigan, then Ty Langenberg would have started the second game. Uh, but since they won, they went with Brody um, against Indiana. So I would assume that, that that might be replicated. You know, if Iowa beats North Carolina, I could see Brody throwing, you know, the winner's bracket game against either one of those teams that comes out. Um, but if I was, you know, up against the wall facing elimination, I, I could also see them leaning Ty Langenberg for that game just because he's been, you know, a little more consistent all throughout the season and, and had his best start of the season uh, in Omaha against Michigan. So, I think it'll probably depend on how that first game goes, but, um, you know, it's interesting, you know, Marcus Morgan has really kind of taken the, uh, the rotation by the horns a little bit here and, and grabbing that Friday spot and not looking, uh, overwhelmed by it in any means. And, you know, his, his, you know, the, probably the biggest positive takeaway from Sunday's loss to Maryland was the two innings that Marcus Morgan threw because they were crisp. They were clean. They were, um, you know, showing his best form. And, and that's going to be even more important on Friday because, uh, you know, going through the ACC stats, North Carolina is pretty much right in the middle of just about every category, it feels like. But where they kind of stand out is uh, walks drawn. They rank third in the ACC and twenty tied for 21st nationally uh, with 321 walks in 57 games. So that's just under six walks drawn per game. And, and, you know, even though Marcus has been able to limit the damage on the scoreboard, uh, before that Maryland appearance, he had 23 walks in his last 20 and a third innings. And that spans over, you know, four or five starts. So, um, you know, if again, command and, and precision was always going to be important when you're in a regional, uh, mm-hmm. but it seems even more so uh, given the matchup and given how patient the Tar Heels are at the plate. Um, and then you get to the point, you know, if, if you have self-created traffic, then it only takes you know one hit here and there, and all of a sudden you're you're not, you're down a crooked number. So uh, something to watch uh, as as we kind of analyze two teams that that don't really know each other very well uh, coming together on Friday. So you mentioned uh, offense. I mean, Iowa's pitching and defense has always kind of been a heller staple, but this is the first year, Dargan, that the Hawkeye offense has really been top to bottom a threat and that's without Keaton Anthony even in the lineup um, they've been uh, continuing to move along and that's a piece uh, uh, I wrote uh, for uh, Thursday's register and uh, online now at, at hawkcentral.com a much longer piece uh, always enjoyed uh, doing these types of stories and uh, my favorite part Dargan was uh, talking to to the t- student managers man they are just 
they know their stuff so much. They yeah, have their awesome. they have Very their friendly. own yeah they have their own metric. Uh, it's kind of a proprietary thing. Uh, it's an internal metric uh, surrounding what they call a swing decision score. So a swing decision score. You can read about more of the details, how it came about, what it entails uh, at hawkcentral.com. But basically, uh, they have emphasized since the fall the importance of swing decisions in that if if you're going to swing the bat, it better increase the run expectancy of the team than decrease the run expectancy of the team. In other words, you're not chasing. Uh, If it's not a – even if it's a strike, maybe you don't swing, Dargan, because – that might not be the best pitch you get in this at bat, and you wait for that uh, that time to make that swing, the, you know, to get the pitch you want. And sometimes the pitch you want is going to be that very first pitch. And so um, it was a really interesting concept. Uh, the numbers just play it out. I mean, the runs per game up from six point five to eight point three, uh, strikeout percentage down, walk percentage up, school record this year in hit by pitches. And you say, how does that? How does that come about? I mean, isn't that just random? Well, not necessarily because you're working counts. You're making, you're giving pitchers more opportunities to throw bad pitches, and you're also getting deeper into bullpens. You're you're knocking out the starter earlier in games. So you're facing worse pitchers as you go along, and um, you're forcing them to try to hit the corners, and and maybe they hit you. So Iowa, you know, with its on base percentage of nearly 420, is is nearly 40 points ahead of any previous Heller team. And over, uh, you know, slugging more than as a result, slugging like 140 points better than the 2015 team. So I uh, hope you guys get a chance to read it. It's a long piece. Dargan, anything that stood out to you uh, from that piece that you, that you want to point out uh, today? Yeah, to me, the, the most interesting thing is, um, you know, obviously everything in there uh, was relevant and was strong in Iowa's success up until the suspensions happen, but there, there could be no better test of this philosophy and what Iowa is doing than losing your best hitter with a month to go in the season (laughs) and being during, you know, the postseason push that you're trying to secure regional. So um, it was funny in Omaha, uh, you know, Rick Heller, I I asked him, he was kind of summing up the week and, um, you know, was, was talking about the resiliency and threw in, you know, and they're doing it with guys not here as well. And it, I hadn't even been thinking about that all week. Um, and, and that's just how impressive Iowa has been that, um, you know, I, I don't know many other teams that could lose their best hitter uh, during the crunch time of the season and actually probably perform better on offense than they were coming into that, that situation. So uh, kudos to everyone there because, um, again, you know, it, it takes – it takes embracing all that from Rick Heller to start with, like you said, a guy who's not used to, you know, being in, in, you know, having high run games be the best way for his team to win. And so for him to kind of shift his philosophy this year, realize that, you know, Hey, the pitching's got a high ceiling, but is a little inconsistent. You know, we really have to get the offense balanced all the way around. Um, You know, it's a probably the biggest reason why I was still playing here uh, into June. Yeah, wildest stat is Iowa's forty-two and two when it scores five runs or more. Zero oh, and twelve when four <laughs> runs or less. So you're gonna have to I, hit a five spot this week. I thought we were about to get the first one yeah. because uh, in the in the second Michigan game, I think they were up. I don't think they pushed that yeah. run across until like the eighth or the ninth. That's inning, right. So. Yeah, it was five nothing. 
<laughs> All right, we only got about two minutes left, Dargan. Uh, if Iowa beats Indiana State or you know surpasses this regional, um, what's next? And also, you gotta you gotta like kind of the symmetry of this season. It starts game one of the season against Indiana State, and uh, Kyle Huxdorf hits a grand slam uh, to walk it off in the bottom of eleven six to two. Uh, and now Rick Heller goes to the park where where he coached uh, where the, the former team that he coached uh, before coming to Iowa, Indiana State. So uh, doesn't this kind of line up to you to to just a, a perfect story for Iowa's first Sweet Sixteen appearance in the NCAA tournament in fifty one years? Well, I'm going to throw you a curveball here. Um, I actually think Wright State is going to pull the upset in the first game. Ooh. So. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know what that will mean for Iowa because I think Friday's game is going to be very tough and very, you know, tense all throughout. Um, but if Iowa can pull that off, I, I think I personally, I think they're going to catch a bit of a break and, and get right state in that second game. And then, um, you know, you, you got to feel pretty good about Iowa's chances there. But, um, I, you know, as much as as Iowa really needs to take care of business, you got to start two and zero pretty much to advance out of any regional. Uh, keep an eye on the the Fayetteville regional as well. Um, that's Arkansas, Arizona, TCU, and Santa Clara. Uh, that's the super that the winner of this one will match up with. Um, so that's I would it. imagine even if those other two teams win, Iowa will probably go on the road uh, to either Arizona, TCU, or Arkansas, but. Um, you know, if the Hogs go down over there, then then Iowa's kind of in business. Yeah, so they could possibly host even a Super Regional? Possibly, if, well, if things played out that way? So it, it's a little murky if both of the one seeds lose. Um, it, it comes down to a bid process. And okay. Just kind of based on TCU's facilities and Arizona's facilities, they're, they're a little better than Iowa. But so the only way I think that Iowa would have a chance to host a Super is if Santa Clara, the four seed, okay. wins the <laughs> Fayetteville Regional, which, as absurd as that is, happened uh, in 2017 on the other side of the Super uh, that Iowa was paired up with. They upset uh, Davidson upset North Carolina, the number three overall seed. So if Iowa had gotten out of Houston, then they probably would have hosted Davidson in the, in the Super right. Regional. So. Dargan, we got to run. We we are out of time. Thank you, my friend. Uh, that'll do it. I am on vacation next week, folks, but no fear. We got you covered. My 45-minute sit-down with Iowa women's basketball star Caitlin Clark will air next Wednesday night in this 6 to 7 o'clock time slot here on 106.3 KXNO. Until we speak again, this is Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register saying so long and good night. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.